Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. All right, welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond Jr. Today I am welcoming for a special episode, uh, Martha Teutonic. Teutonic, and uh, thank you so much for being here. Martha, I remind for our guests, I'm forgetting uh, your titles and positions, and uh, share with our guests kind of just your context and uh, what brought you here today. Yeah, thank you, Lauren. It's great to be talking with you again today. Um, so I am an Anglican priest. I serve in St. Catharines, Ontario, which is near Niagara Falls, so right near the the U.S.-Canadian border. And um, I serve in a, a you know fairly um, large for an Anglican church uh, downtown. Um, church that uh, does a lot of urban ministry and um, outreach to those who are unhoused and uh, facing food security problems. Um, we last talked when my book came out uh, called mm-hmm. Why Gather? The Hope and Promise of the Church. And um, I've also authored a book called The Living Diet, which looks at our relationship with food and our bodies from a Christian perspective. So that's a little bit of a snapshot about me. Great. Thanks, Martha. So uh, Martha came to me. Well, I guess you didn't come to me, right? You emailed me, I think it was, and was like, you know, what do you think about doing some kind of season recap or, you know, summary? And I thought, what a fun idea. Um, So this is kind of what we're doing today. And it's a little bit abnormal or outside what I, I normally do. So hang with us today. Uh, I'm also home with my kids. So if you hear kids in the background, please understand that. Um, but first, kind of let me tell you, uh, the season, so to speak, is what I'm calling season 13. And it was about 11 episodes featured Don Weeks, a Disciples of Christ pastor in Texas, uh, Rohati. He's a church planter in, uh, I forget where, but in Canada, um, and an author. Jack Shatama, who is a, a UMC uh, pastor and camp leader in, I think it's uh, in the East Coast, Maryland area. Mark Dorn, who's actually an evangelical author and professor at an evangelical university in my neck of the woods in Colorado. Uh, and then we talked with, I talked with um, Josh Packard and I'm blanking on his name, Ferguson. Ferguson. Uh, what was his first name? Todd Ferguson. Uh, Todd Ferguson. Thank you. He's the author of the book Stuck, uh, which I thought was great. Um, after that was Andy Root. He's a professor at Luther Seminary. Uh, after that was Matt Sturdall. He's a PCUSA pastor again in Colorado. Talked to him about some some things around uh, what rewilding Christianity and. Uh, doing alternative projects, so to speak, in the midst of your traditional uh, mainline context. Then was uh, David Anderson Hooker. 
He's a consultant and does a lot of work on narrative theory, which I found his conversation really interesting. Uh, and then I had a lot of uh, local people this season. Uh, Jesse Cruikshank, she's actually Foursquare. And I don't know where she lives exactly, but probably within like five miles of me. Um, I talked about discipleship. After that was Juan Sarmiento, who's a uh, middle jugatory leader in San Fernando area for the PCUSA. And then lastly was Eric Hoke, who's a, he's a former church planter in New York City um, and is now doing a lot on um, helping pastors find bivocational or co-vocational or, or marketplace ministry jobs. So uh, Martha, let's perhaps begin with this. What stood out to you? What are the few things that stood out to you from the season? Well, first of all, what a great lineup of um, of leaders that you have. I think it's amazing to collect that diversity of voices and contexts um, in your podcast. I, you know, the reason why I reached out to you is because um, after coming on your podcast, I subscribed to the podcast and I've just been really, really impressed by the the conversation that you've been having um the synergies that I hear across those conversations and um just how important it is to have like this safe space to talk about these real things from mm-hmm. a variety of perspectives so I mean that's kind of the the broad brush strokes of what stuck out to me is um just how important this uh this conversation is and this platform is. Um, but within that, I, you know, and you said it in your introduction, the the Ferguson and Packard books stuck and the interview mm-hmm. that you had with them, it really ended up um, kind of framing everything else that I was hearing in the season. And I can't even begin to tell you like how many times I've quoted them in conversations Hmm. with fellow leaders um i immediately bought the book and i like i have all kinds of pages folded over in it yeah Um, and the like there were just there were just so many things that i've never heard so clearly articulated before that i found absolutely liberating as a mainline Mm -hmm. um christian leader um and uh yeah and so then that kind of became the lens through which i heard a lot of the other conversations mm-hmm. um i i think that um their naming of the big systems mm-hmm. that are at the heart of not only the decline of the mainline church but mm-hmm. but why clergy are struggling so much in right. in their ministries why clergy burnout is such a big thing um the i think that we just have such a tendency to talk about mainline decline and clergy burnout as as if they're problems that individual people and congregations can solve right um, Right. And to have that broadened out into a systemic conversation. Um the and to say like it has to be, it has to be a systemic conversation. We have to be having this conversation on a collective scale. Um, I just thought was 
so important to say. Um, and I realized, you know, as I listened to them and as I considered the season as a whole, um, I, d- I think I'm just less and less inclined toward um, toward conversations that that seem to suggest that um, that there are avenues that can be taken for individual leaders and congregations to flourish. Um, and and I you know, I'm in a, a congregation that in many ways is flourishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but flush that out. What do you mean by that? Avenues, less and less avenues, if I'm well, that. I, I guess I'm just less interested in conversations about how individual leaders and individual congregations can flourish. And okay. I'm really committed to that um bigger conversation that we need to be having about uh-huh. institutional um yeah. realities yeah. and institutional well-being and uh, you know Packard and Ferguson really kind of named the truth that like so much of our um holding up of leaders who are doing really well is within that framework of secularism and capitalism that mm-hmm. um isn't all that life-giving, right? So, right. Like, unless right. we're kind of having that bigger conversation, um, I, I think that there's just something kind of false about about talking about how um, how anybody just on their own is doing well. Um, yeah, that's where I'm thinking about Andy Root. Um, and I guess some of this, I think, maybe what's coming to mind is coming from this book I just read of his, I think I had him on for um, Churches in the Crisis of Innovation. Yeah. I'm hoping to get him on for Churches in the Crisis of Decline. Um, but certainly in, in Churches in the, if I'm getting the title right, in the Crisis of Innovation, he does in that book really take a, you know, an examination of our, like you mentioned there, of our like management business type focus of like, you know, just being super efficient and super, um, you know, super, uh, you know, management focused, efficiency focused, um, it's going to like solve our problems. And I think if I'm hearing you right, uh, what I'm hearing from you is like this idea that like these things that we think are going to solve our problems are really kind of just like hauling us out, like killing our souls, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I think that, um, Andy Root would like probably need to be held in tension with Matt Sertle. Is that who pronounces his yeah, last name? Like, yeah. Because, and I think Andy, Andy Root says this in his interview with you. Um, like, it's not that that innovation and passion projects can't be good because they right, can. Right. Like he's not anti um change or like anti creativity. Um but when it's just sort of this endless pressure to do right. the next right. big thing to to kind of be ahead of the curve to um you know anticipate the the next magic bullet or to um be able to promote a magic bullet um mm-hmm. yeah there's just kind of an endless 
spiral of um, of pressure that mm-hmm. that I think whether we're in the mainline church or whether we're in more charismatic traditions, um, we can feel that pressure enormously. Uh, yeah, and I I think that struck me too. Like I I appreciated in the season the diversity of voices. I don't know what it's like to lead anything like a mega church or hmm. a church in mm-hmm. that more charismatic tradition. I'm like mainline through and through. Mm-hmm. Um in the book stuck, you know, the the pressures that mainline leaders feel to save the declining church are are contrasted with the pressures right. that uh those in the more um evangelical or charismatic side of things feel to perform. Um, but, but across all of the traditions, I think that clergy, um, feel like it's all riding on us. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be so personality focused, Mm -hmm. um, no matter what tradition you're coming from, which I think is, uh, again, a a symptom of kind of that capitalistic, um, Mm -hmm model that seeps into how we view what church success looks like, how we view what um, pastoral success looks like. And uh, it, you know, creates, it creates idols and scapegoats of our Christian leaders. Let me ask you something here. I'm going to jump in if I may. Yeah. I'm thinking about, again, we live in an influencer culture where, you know, credibility and relevance comes not through, you know, earned status like degrees or experience, but it comes through popularity online, like through how many TikTok followers you have or, you know, Twitter followers or name you. So uh, hopefully this isn't throwing somebody under the bus, but I'm thinking about Convergence, their US-based kind of uh, mainline progressive church consulting group in Based out of Georgia, I think I've had their leader Cameron Trimble. I think is her name on the pod. Um, but it's just coming to mind because they recently launched like a um, they recently launched like a digital ministry kind of cohort, or I, I'm not sure if that's the exact name, but some kind of digital ministry like leaders group, basically. So you know, they brought on some some young. Um, folks who seem to be getting some great traction in quote unquote digital ministry, whatever that means. Uh, and it's primarily like, you know, people who have a lot of followers on TikTok because they're good at making these like short TikTok videos. Um, and I'm, I'm a little weary perhaps, and maybe that's just like me old man here. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like that sort of feeds into what you're talking about there. This like, Oh, if I'm going to be a good pastor, if I'm going to get people like I've got to up my Instagram game or I've got to improve my TikTok video skills. And that, to me, it just feels like we're missing the point. I don't know. How does that come across to you? Yeah, I I really um, I really relate to what you're saying. And at the same time, um, you know, there's there's another dimension to that whole conundrum. Like my kids are teenagers and mm-hmm. um, my kids want our church to be on TikTok. 
Um, mm-hmm. And the reason why they want the church to be on TikTok is really, really simple. It's because they see their peers. Yeah, um, they're on TikTok. Well, yeah, that's where they're, you know, that's where conversation is happening. But even uh-huh. more fundamentally, like they see that their peers have this like terrible view of what the church is about, that the church is mm-hmm. misogynist, mm-hmm. racist, mm-hmm. homophobic, like you name right. it, right? And right. they, really think that we need to be speaking into that um into that space and into uh that generation with a positive message of what what religion can be who god is um so like i i really like i i i totally want to opt out of the influencer culture i really really do and at the same time um like there is a there is a message here that we do believe is worth sharing mm-hmm. and yeah. so how do we hold those things in balance well i think you know this is certainly something i've tried to highlight recently just in my own context or live into is this tension and nuance and complexity that i don't think I don't think we're great at, at least in American culture, societally, at living into, you know, because, you know, as as we're recording this in, in my world, it just feels like everything is all wrong or it's all good. And there's no way to like be like, well, yes, and or no, and or but or what have you. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as you say that, I'm kind of like struck by um, by. David Anderson Hooker's uh, mm-hmm. episode with you, um, and you know his vision of a church that is so much more interested in the questions than the answers, um, yeah. and that narrative of um, of compassion, um, compassion and care for the community around us. Like I think that um, I think that. At the heart of, you know, what what we're talking about um, and what you're talking about across this podcast is, like, a great big why question. Like, mm-hmm. why does this matter? Like, I listened to that episode and, like, yeah, that's the church I want to be part of. That's the church mm-hmm. I try to lead. Um I'm not sure it's the church that is the most popular. I'm not sure that it's the church that is going to like solve the problem of decline. I'm not sure right, that it's right. the church that is going to fill our pews with um gen setters. Um but but like I think it is the faithful church. Like I think mm-hmm. that's the church that we're called to be. I think that it's just like wildly important to hold that space for more questions and answers for the complexities for the the not either or but both and and how we hold things in chin like i'm really committed to that church whether whether or not it's um you know gonna gonna be successful in the traditional metrics like i that's the church i want to be part of I mean, this is kind of where it all kind of fits together, if I can think big picture here, because like, you know, and again, for folks who haven't listened to, go back and listen to that David Anderson Hooker episode again. And if I'm remembering Martha, he kind of talked about like 
talking about as a church, like a church that like really cared for one another and say, this is a church where we care for one another. And how can we, how can we extend that care to our community? Right. Yeah. So if we're doing that kind of work, like we're not going to be like on a church growth, uh, again, not to diminish or dismiss all folks who are really focused on church growth. I think there can be, uh, spaces and contexts where that's appropriate. But if we're really like what we value is, you know, caring for our community and caring for one another, like that's going to be a slow path. Right. And with that is going to come like external pressures from perhaps the denomination being like, Hey, you know, we need to see more, we need to see more people in the, in the pews. Um, it's also going to come with financial challenges because there's not going to be a huge budget to pay your bills. Um, and then like, you're not going to get any like huge influence or status. Cause it's like, Oh, great. You've got like 30, 40, 50 people. If that on a Sunday, like, congratulations. And, and it's hard to like quantify the real effect and impact you may be or your church may be having on the community, right? Yeah. So I, I have like a few follow up thoughts about that because, yeah. um, like that church exists, like that right. church of care and compassion. Um, not just for the people in that community, but the how that care and compassion that it extends outwards mm-hmm. into um, the life of the wider community. I mean, I, I live that church. I see that church. That church is happening in amazing ways all over the place. Um, that is a narrative that we need to be a lot clearer about um, about sharing and naming. And... Like, if that's the narrative that we're claiming for ourselves, then that is so connected to the conversation around um, kind of the the great big systemic changes that hmm. are named mm-hmm. in that book stuck um, that we have to get real about. Um, because, and... This is a, I'm not sure it came up in this season. It might have been in the last season. But there was a question that one of your um, interviewees raised that has just absolutely been echoing in my mind since. Mm -hmm. And it's the question about our wealth. So there Mm. is tremendous wealth in the mainline Mm -hmm. church. There isn't tremendous wealth in like many individual congregations right now in the right. mainline church. Right. I mean, most mainline churches that I know are are struggling for resources in one way or another. Mm-hmm. But I think that if we could be like super clear about um about our narrative, about mm-hmm. why that matters, about why that's an offering not just for the people who are like in it, but how that does extend outwards, and it does in like some really, really powerful ways. Then I think that we can't, like, we we're not without resources mm-hmm. to line up and equip that narrative, that reality. Like, I d- I don't think that struggle and decline has to be the only, um, the only reality that we're facing right now. Like, we also are facing a reality of like, what are we going to do with our wealth? And why? Right, right. And I don't think that we talk about that at all. Do you think, practically speaking, that 
Do you think that practically speaking, institutions or denominations or, you know, judicatories are just going to have to like, and maybe you're thinking of this differently, but I'm thinking this way, are just going to have to make a conscious decision to continually invest in churches and ministries that may be quote unquote losing money because they're doing good ministry? Like, is that drive for like sustainability and viability? Is that overrated? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think that if I look at the Anglican Church in Niagara. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that we need to do just a basic audit of our resources and decide where we want to put them and why. And mm-hmm. you know, some of those resources might go into um, into congregations that that look like they're doing well in kind of more traditional ways. But yeah, some of them might go into ministries that just like are really really vital for the community and that like really represent what we want to be about um Mm -hmm. but aren't you know don't have the the traditional metrics associated with them like i think that um i don't think it has to be one or the other but i think that it needs to be like an honest conversation and again i think it needs to be a very if i go back to david anderson hooker i think that mm-hmm. we need to be really clear about the the narrative right yeah cuz this is i think um i don't know if this came up with my conversation with jesse crookshank but it feels like something related to you know you, could you mention gen z and it, gen z is certainly like you know you, the earth's on fire like what's the point of saving for tomorrow like let's throw all available resources into saving the planet yeah. which you know I'm not a client scientist, but I might be like, well, I'm not sure. Like, it's that I, I don't know what I'm. I guess what I'm saying, like, wisdom, perhaps as someone who's older, might offer some restraint. But that being said, like, we we can understand that mindset of like, hey, there's things that have to be taken care of, like today. We don't have time for to to worry about tomorrow. Yet also, perhaps the Christian, uh, I don't know. There is some wisdom in like thinking long term. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, there is that tension, I guess, and, and balance we might need to think about again in church context of like, hey, let's we don't necessarily want to throw it all in one one project here, but also like, hey, what are you know, the church is in crisis in in many ways, right? Yeah, yeah, and um, gosh, I had a conversation with my daughter recently that made me sort of question how much I we can really even predict the future I mean mm-hmm. her her like pretty staunch take on things is that like the traditional mainline church with all of its beautiful architecture and um, ritual and so on and so forth like that that is um, like what is old is going to be new again and mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. the the tide is going to turn and that's going to be the hip new thing hmm. like well, she hope so right <laughs> yeah like she's 16 and she like she's convinced that this is mm-hmm. where the tide is going and who yeah like who knows but like there is something very risky in divesting ourselves of a bunch of properties that <laughs> might turn out to be like kind mm. of the next big thing mm-hmm. in another couple of years um but again like i Predicting the future, we're not so good at as Christians. 
But we have tons of like resources for mm-hmm. discernment and um and where God is leading us right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for mentioning that the importance of prayer and discernment when navigating the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think that uh I think that conversation with Jesse Kirkshank um to me was also very connected to uh the David Anderson Hooker conversation hmm. um mm-hmm. around narrative and obviously she comes at it from quite a different perspective right um, uh, and I love that like brain science um as like a way of thinking about discipleship but again like uh like the brain seeks identity. Like, who are we? Like, I hear mm-hmm. a narrative question there, mm-hmm. um, and and I, I think being really clear about who we are and like who God has called us to be, um, I think is going to be fundamental in those discernment conversations yeah. and in that prayer. Well, let's flip the mic here, and uh, why don't you pepper me with a few questions, and we'll we'll take it. A, a different direction here. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I mean, I told you what stuck out to me right. about the the season. Um, what what's been sticking in your mind the most from the conversations you've been having? I mean, certainly, I think um, the Ferguson and Packard book stuck out to me. Uh, I'm hoping to explore this more in another podcast, but I've kind of took it to heart so much that I've actually become co-vocational or bivocational myself, um, wow. taking on a a new role in a social work type job while re- retaining a, a a lesser time position at my church. Um, <clears throat> I really, really, really resonated with Jesse Crookshank's episode because I think for me, like I grew up, I grew up very independent, like fundamental Baptist, independent Baptist where it was really about her two things of behavior. And now I'm forgetting the other one. Um, behavior and I don't know if it was, oh, right, I think it was right behavior, right beliefs. Right. Were her, her kind of two false markers. And this is me speaking, but I, I, I get, I don't know, like triggers is too strong a word, I feel like, but I feel like, man, I see those similar things right now in, at least in my context of like progressive Christianity where it's like, it's all about like right behavior and right belief. Mm. And like, Oh, I you know, I, that makes me nervous. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I really liked, I really liked David Anderson hookers things about narrative. And I've been thinking about like his metaphor of like narrative as like the highways. Um, <clears throat> as like the highways. Cause we've all, I think we've all probably at least, anyone who's been around church or been a leader in church for long enough, you can just see like how anything, even good news or bad news sort of gets filtered in, like it it gets filtered through this like pre or, you know, this, this pathway, this roadway that the congregation essentially just trained to think Um, like this is a silly example, but I think it makes sense. Uh, so I'm here in Denver, Colorado Metro and like the Denver Nuggets NBA basketball team just won an NBA championship. So the city's all really excited. And for, for years, it was always like they do this 
I mean, obviously not pre-social media, but kind of trends backward, but it was like hashtag nug life, meaning like, oh, the nuggets just always lose. They always fall up short. Like similar like the Boston Red Sox for the, for my right. East Coast baseball fans, like they'd always fall up short. So and it was like whenever things, <laughs> right. So whenever, th- yeah, like the Leafs, yeah, the Maple Leafs, my goodness, you Toronto fans are long suffering there. Um, really? So like now the Nuggets finally broke through and won, like that narrative of like, oh, Nug life, we just always get, fall short or get screwed. Like that narrative is completely blown up. But prior to the season, like anything, anything happened, it was just like filtered through that, like nug life. Oh, that's what happens to us. Like we get bad calls from the officials or we, we have a bad break and a person gets injured. And, and I, like, I can really see that in churches of like, oh man, of course everybody's going to the church down the street, the new church down the street. That's just what happens to us. Or, um, oh, of course our roof is leaking. Like that's just what happens to us. Like these narratives just kind of like frame how we interpret everything yeah and the examination and trying to re rework those narratives i think is so important Uh, how can we create healthier narratives uh for ourselves and our communities and our churches yeah i liked his question like what if we focused on the good Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like just such a simple way Mm -hmm. of, of phrasing it yeah because I'd say, like, if your church or, you know, denominational body or whatever is wanting to do some consulting, like, I, it really was fascinating when I was in the room with him. Just that shift. I mean, that's simple, but I thought it was a significant shift of, like, you know, what is happening good here that we can focus on? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's so easy to be, like, here's all the bad stuff that we need to f- – and I think to some extent, like, that bad stuff just becomes overwhelming. You know, it just becomes – soul sucking um but there's so much yeah and i didn't hear like i didn't hear any sort of pollyanna in Mm -hmm. what hooker was saying like it wasn't um oh just look on the bright side um because like that isn't helpful it's not Mm -hmm. helpful when you're feeling like you're struggling to just be told well look on the bright side but that's not like what he had to say was a lot more nuanced than that. It was right. um, like, where are we going to put our energy? Right? right. Like, what are we going to allow to, to dictate our energy? Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's like um, an honest way of framing the conversation. Mm-hmm. So I have a few follow-up questions for yeah. you in terms of, what uh, what stuck out for you and what stuck out for me in the season. But first of all, I'd like to just zero in for a second on the bivocational piece because um, that I would say that was one of the things that was, again, named in the book, Stuck, is mm-hmm. uh, I think at least one of the examples of clergy burnout was somebody who was trying to work a job to pay the bills while also leading a church mm-hmm. and just like how um, impossible that was. But then when I listened to the episode with Eric Hoke, um, I, I think he really put the nuts and bolts together in terms mm-hmm. of what needs to happen to make bivocational um, possible. Right. And he was pretty clear about like the expectations on a pastor 
really yeah. need to change if we're going to get serious about bivocational. And that's a part of the conversation I just haven't heard. Like we've been talking about, I've been ordained for almost 20 years and, um, and like bivocational has been a conversation for all of those 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but not in any sort of nuts and bolts sort of way in terms of like, okay, how are we going to adjust expectations so that people could actually work two jobs? Um, yeah. And I'm just wondering how you're navigating that, like that shifting of expectations that has got to be at the the heart of taking that leap in bivocational. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, you know, I've only been at this like a month officially. Um, and there's a lot I'm noticing, you know, for one, being a social worker, you know, I'm essentially a social working or worker sort of in that context. And one thing I'm noticing immediately, like, you know, I have a high compassion need job. Um, and I, it, it, it's very contrasting. Like the church I work at is in a very high income area in social economic context. And I'm working with very low socioeconomic context. So, you know, for me at least, I'm glad that I have that contrast because I don't know if I could be like, have to be super compassionate Lauren Monday through Friday and then go be super compassionate Lauren like Sunday and weeknights. You know, for instance, I don't, I think my compassion well would just run out at least with, <laughs> yeah. at least with, at least with kids at home too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think another reality is, you know, like I'm an associate. Um, so there's not like, the whole thing's not riding on me, so to speak, as like a senior pastor or lead pastor might have. Um, and hopefully, I'm, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, I have some measure of concern for my senior pastor, but ultimately I, I'm trying to tell myself like, you know, that's not my, you know, I can't control that. I need to focus on my stuff and, you know, they have to worry about their own stuff, I guess. Um, and I think there is some level of like, is this sustainable? Certainly. Um, I don't know. I guess time will tell. Um, but I, at least in, in my context, like I look at like, like the median cost of a house is just ridiculous. Um, and I, I think one of the things that I really realized is like, there just wasn't a viable path to kind of, to make what I feel like I need to make to support my family in this context in a church setting. And then going back to all the things we talked about, like uh, among church decline, like the, the, it's not looking too promising, but I mean, you know, you mentioned being ordained for 20 years. Like I'm thinking like, I need to still get another 20 years out of my career. Um, So those are kind of what has been my current realities. And I think, I think, um, you know, I have an episode several seasons back with Jeff McDonald, who's the UCC pastor out of, uh, Massachusetts, who's written a book on bivocationality, which I really recommend. We talk a lot of practicalities in there. There certainly are some real, um, there certainly are some real challenges. Um, still, I mean, I think student loans for one is like a huge mm-hmm. thing in the states. Everybody's and who knows, knocking wood, what's going to happen here with the Supreme Court as recording this. Um, but. I don't, you know, those are, I mean, this is where I want to have like a, a seminary president, you know, on the pod and be like, how do you justify? I mean, I think I've asked this too, in some ways, 
as much as I love seminar, like how do you justify a student taking on, you know, close to six figures in debt? Yeah. Uh, it's just tough. So that's kind of that's kind of how I've been navigating it so far. Well, in lots of ways, you're a good case study. Like right. I hope that you'll um, share your experience as you go, because I think that uh, those are all the dynamics that need to be worked out and talked about, and in, uh, in a pretty honest way. Like mm-hmm. I, as we're kind of navigating these new waters. Um, I'm interested. So in my context, I think that um, I think that we can get into a lot of magical thinking mm, mm-hmm. about um, about what's going to save the church. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a reluctance to talk honestly about, our struggles. Hmm. Um, I, in my book, Why well, Gather, I do talk about my own um, coming pretty close to burnout mm-hmm. at a particular point. And as I've kind of toured around and shared stuff from my book and various speaking engagements, um, I hear a lot of clergy who are just like, really grateful that right. I'm willing to name that because um because it's hard to talk about like it's hard to talk about any sort of failure or mm-hmm. struggle um I reached out to you about doing the podcast today because I don't hear the conversations that you're having happening in a lot of places like with with this level of honesty and 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 also like not just honesty but bringing a lot of different um fields of expertise into the conversation so like what allows you to do this podcast like what allows you to create this space for these conversations like is this a fairly independent initiative yeah thanks for that um it's i mean it it sort of started as a covid project back in 2020 right when i was leading a new church start and um it's sort of just grown and morphed into there and i found kind of different ways to kind of make it sustainable um like i have a little llc that i kind of use to do other podcasts for people kind of help cover some of my own podcasting expenses and I think for me, I'm just a very curious person. Like I did CPE or uh, clinical pastoral education for folks familiar with it uh, a year ago, right? And and one of my colleagues was like, oh, Lauren, you know, curiosity is your superpower. And I was like, oh my goodness, what a fun, what a fun superpower. You should put um, that on a mug. <laughs> right. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm a very curious person. I think, again, with my context, having grown up very conservative, you know, uh, I rem- you know, I remember like being told in Bible college, like, oh, don't don't read that author. Like, like that's all, you know, just completely toss away anything. Um so you know, there's some people I'm not gonna have on the pod. Like, I'm not gonna have like Preston Sprinkle, for instance, as someone who, you know, who is a, a name who seems like kind of like be a centerish figure, but he's he's you know, he's a 
you know, he, I'm not going to have him on because I don't, I don't want to risk harming LGBT plus persons. Um, yeah. That being said, there's people I've had on the pod who I know, or I shouldn't say I know, but I, I strongly confer, would bet who are not LGBT affirming, um, who or who might I might disagree with on other topics, uh, theological perspectives. But I, I mean, I think it comes down to like I'm a very curious person, so I think I, I think that there's always people who have some value and insights that I can learn from. And I've been decent at like kind of filtering out what I can, what I can take and, and, and disregard and, and get rid of the rest. Um, you know, I think I feel like I have to name something that coming up within me here. You kind of mentioned like that, the realities of like what magical thinking. And I think that's also something that kind of, I wanted to just like name is like, I'm all for being positive and forward thinking and optimistic, but I do think there's this level of like magical thinking that happens. Um, Like I've heard it like, of like, Oh, let's just, let's just celebrate abundance and talk about abundance (laughs) and all this abundance. And I get it. Like it really, it really does make a difference when we think about, you know, to, to have the narrative of like, there's enough, like, that's a narrative versus like always coming short. But also I think for me at least, and I, I hear this a little bit from you and what you share, like I think there's this reality of like, if I'm constantly like coming up short and just constantly stretching, you know, hustling to pay the bills or whatever, like that's a reality that to have that like not affirmed is really discouraging when you're like, boy, it's really hard to not uh, have that affirmed or seen, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, again, if folks have been listening to me for quite a while, um, I think I have an episode, I forget when this is, when this airs, but where my producer, Paul interviews me just kind of talking about it, the church start that I was leading and how that, how that ended. Um, I changed my Twitter handle, the failed church planner, because <laughs> I just wanted to like, that was a narrative that was going on, you know, I imagined, um, and I just want to like lean into it and be like, Hey, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to try to ignore it. Like this is a reality. Like I'm perceived as a failed church planter. And, and, you know, broadly speaking, like I, I think there's some, some, some element of damaged good, so to speak, um, <laughs> among my profile in, you know, middle jugatory offices. And it is what it is. Um, I can't, you know, it is what it is. So I think just naming those things. Uh, I think is important in not trying to sugarcoat them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like a couple of things that I would say in response to that, um, again, in appreciation of what you're doing here, the, the first is validation. And like, that is Mm -hmm. the, the key word in our household right now. And it's kind of the key mental health, um, buzzword validation, but, um, like you really can't get anywhere in terms of, um, health and well-being or like helping someone on the path of health and well-being, unless you're willing to start with validation, like right. validate yeah. the actual experience. Right. Right. And, and and there's a lot of curiosity and validation as well because I, mm-hmm. one of the key questions of validation is like 
help me to understand why. Like, help mm-hmm. me to understand why you're feeling this way. Help mm-hmm. me to understand your experience. It's not just like kind of a blanket. Oh, right. yeah, like that. That totally makes sense. Right, I, I feel right. like that too. No, it's like the probing questions of like, um, help me to understand. Mm-hmm. And and then I think the other piece that I just think is so important and um, I think has been like kind of a thread through our conversation today, like when you talk about um, abundance, like lean into abundance, but, you know, you're talking – Maybe you're talking to people who are hungry, <laughs> like mm-hmm. who, right, right. you know, we serve breakfast to a hundred plus people a, a day here at our church and uh, every day. And like, they don't want to hear me say, like, just lean into your abundance like that. Right. Um, like, if you want to change the the narrative, it has to be a communal question it has to yeah. be a collective question like it 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 can't just be sort of put on the individual to well just look at the bright side just count your blessings like we we need to make some different decisions together mm-hmm. about um about we have what we, what we have and what we're doing with it um so i I guess a follow-up question I would Mm -hmm. have for you in all of this is um, like, and I I don't necessarily expect you to know the answer to this, but like, how can we get these conversations happening more widely? Yeah. (laughs) Like, how how can we take what you're doing here and um, put the blowhorn on it? Well, thank you. I really appreciate, (laughs) um, appreciate your support. I mean, I feel like the the cliche like podcaster is response is like like and share, <laughs> <laughs> subscribe and review and share. Um, but I mean, I think um, you know, I, I guess <clears throat> like I'm someone who like deeply loves and cares about and believes in the church. Like I have a high ecclesiology to use that word. Like I really believe that the gathered body of Christ, like good stuff. Uh, happens when we're gathered together. Um, I'm 100% aware of like the real challenges that come with church. Like I've I've lived those experiences. Like I could tell you story a story about like ways that I've been screwed over by the church. Um, <laughs> so it, I'm not like Pollyannish about like the church. And that you know again, Matt, you'll think like, oh, let's just get people together that'll solve the world's problems. Um, but I believe in the church. I have a high, like I said, high ecclesiology. Um, so I'm, I, I'm just, I'm hopeful that, like, you know, I, I'm hoping to encourage people that, like, you know, what we do matters as pastors. Um, you know, there is hope for the church. Like, let's look forward, believing that things are possible. You know, with God's help. Uh, I don't know. Uh, hopefully, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, and I'm with you. I I have a a huge love for the church, and not just love for the church, but I really think it matters. Mm-hmm. I I really think that um, I really think that what we are doing at its best can be transformational, not yeah. just for us, but for yeah. um, the world around us. And I I think it just like 
critically matters. So yeah, I'm with you in persevering in those conversations and uh, and that curiosity. Awesome. So I thought it might be fun to um, turn the tables once again and yeah, yeah, and give you a chance to uh, answer the questions that you always close out your podcasts with with your guests. Yeah. So, are you okay with? Yeah, let's do tables? it. Let's do it. Okay. Um. So, if you could meet a Christian leader, dead or alive, who would you want to meet, and why? Um, hmm. I think what immediately comes to mind, and this is because, you know, I just, I, for some reason, uh, I'm not going to say Andy Root, but Andy Root's books have really been resonating with me in a way that have not resonated with me since I first read Marcus Borg's uh, hmm. Heart of Christianity. Um, I was introduced to Marcus Borg when I was going through a time of deep kind of soul searching and deconstruction by Disciples of Christ pastor. And, um, so, I mean, I really appreciate, I, I feel like in Marcus Borg's Heart of Christianity saved my faith. So I think, to, I think I would have to want to meet with him. Um, mm-hmm. Eugene Peterson is another person that comes in mind. Um, you know, those are two that come to mind, I think, immediately. Well, those are great answers. If you could be a Pope for a day, what would that day look like? Yeah. I mean, I think folks often aren't sure what to do with this question. <laughs> and I really many mean it to be like, you know, I think we often say, well, if I was king for a day, if I ruled the world for a day, like that's what it's meant to, except right. like in a church Christian context. <laughs> um, I mean, practically speaking, I know this is a cliche answer, but I'd love to like explore Vatican City. Like I'm a church nerd, so I would <laughs> totally want to just have all access all access to Vatican City. Uh, that being said, like on a more like pontifical, so to speak, you know, if I could decree this, I think I'd really be like, folks, let's just, I don't know. This is where, this is where I struggle perhaps, Martha, is like today I'm going to write a, a letter of, uh, I'm going to write an email of encouragement to like a, a fundamental Baptist pastor who's the pastor of the church that I grew up going to, where my in-laws still go to. Uh, and my kids just went to VBS last week. Um, and I'm going to tell them, like, I disagree with you on a whole host of theological issues, but I can tell that you're trying to faithfully follow, like, hmm. that you're trying to be faithful and lead your church. And, like, I wish that we could have a more of that attitude, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that would be a pretty wonderful thing. What do you think history will remember about this time that we're in right now? I've been thinking about pendulums. Mm-hmm. Um, like around 2020, obviously, we swung pretty far left. And now it's like we're swinging even further right. Like, I don't know what's like in Canada, but man, in the States, it's just like everybody is just going bonkersville, it seems like, to the right um, on a whole host of things that just like folks can we can we chill out and settle down um and i don't know like i'm not really old enough i suppose to have a, a further view of of history uh and and but i sort of wonder like these pendulum swings like are we going to remember like these giant pendulum swings and maybe not maybe not the pendulum swings itself but sort of the the rapidness right because yeah. we're yeah. thinking like within three years just this huge you know a, a 
I thought, like an appropriate swing to the left when it came to issues of um, Black Lives Matters and things like that. But then, you know, but then like now it just it just uh, complete an opposite and further swing to the right. So I wondered, like the speed and uh, extremeness of these swings. I wonder if I wonder if that will be remembered. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think uh, polarized is the word right. that comes to mind. Right. It just seems that um, that we just keep swinging between who, like, which side of the pole gets to mm-hmm. have the loudest voice for a time. Yeah. Okay. And the last question: What are your hopes for the future of Christianity? I mean, I really. Like I like I said earlier, I really believe in the church. Um, my my senior pastor, I'll give a shout out to Sandy Dillon uh, at a Wash Park UMC. She gave a message uh, just yesterday, actually, as we're recording this, and she was talking about the she's preaching from Acts three, the the Peter and John, silver and gold have I none. Again, I'm quoting it from King James. That's how I remember it. Silver and gold have I none, but this is what I do have. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Uh, to the man uh, with you know mobility issues, and she said something to like something to the effect like like it's better in here, like it's better without walls, and that's what really drew me, I think, to this kind of strain of Christianity that I'm in, like this more inclusive loving, gracious uh, Christianity from my youth uh, fundamental, you know, Baptist world. Like, that's what I believe. Like, I believe God is a God of grace and love. And mm. uh, and I think, like, I hope that Christianity continues to be, and more so, a faith that's like, it's better in here. Like, this is a better way of doing life, yeah. you know, yeah. together. Yeah. I... I think that's the transformational piece that I want to see too, mm-hmm. and that I really believe in. I really appreciate this conversation today. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's leave each other with a word of peace. Then, how about that? That sounds great. May God's peace be with you, Martha, and also with you, Lauren. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.